The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. Did you know that we spend around 70% of our lives sitting or lying completely still? A sedentary lifestyle is not only bad for your body, it can also result in anxiety, depression, and a lower overall IQ. Our guest on this episode is science journalist Caroline Williams, who says simple movement has the power to improve every aspect of our lives. Caroline is the author of the new book, Move. How the New Science of Body Movement Can Set Your Mind Free. Caroline, we thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. Why did you decide to tackle this topic? I mean, it's a fascinating one. Well, I mean, I've been a, a science journalist for about 20 odd years now. And a lot of that time I've been fascinated with the, the human mind, you know, why why it is that we think the way we do, why we have this, um, these amazing brains, um, but also why there are these kind of glitches that seem to come as part of the deal. So, you know, our inability to focus, you know, that creativity turns up when it's least convenient to actually be useful, um, anxiety, depression, you know, all these kind of downsides of our human minds. Um, and I've always been interested in, well, what can we do about that? Um, what can we do to improve the way we think and the way we feel? And for a lot of years, that was really focused in the head, you know, talking about brain plasticity and what we can do to change our brains. And that was what my, my first book was about. Um, but one of the things that came out of that was that treating your, your brain as if it's not attached to the rest of you is kind of a really strange way of thinking about it because clearly things you do with your body affect the way you feel I and mean, I've known for I have a, a very boisterous dog who may or may not burst in through the door any minute um, <laughs> who drags me out for long walks and you know if I'm stuck on a piece of work I down tools I go for a walk I feel better it clears my head you know it's been known for a long time why is that is what I wanted to know um, you know why does dancing make us feel happy you know what what can we do with our bodies and why are these what are the what are the connections that explain why moving our body affects the way we think and feel and I wanted to look at that in the context of our increasingly sedentary lives um, and whether that's connected to the way we're having all these issues in in our mental and emotional lives so that's kind of where I started I, I sort of started off with the question why why is it um, that I feel good when I move and are there specific ways that we can move that will have specific effects? Um, because we've known for a long time, exercise endorphins makes you feel happy. Um, we know, we've known for a long time that exercise improves the brain. It makes it more likely to connect, make connections and grow blood vessels and just work better. But I wondered if there's something more than that, we could take it further and say, well, this, this, this is how we should be moving. Because let's face it, we haven't all got that much time to, to be squeezing in more things we should be doing. So how beneficial is it to just move around for a few minutes rather than just have to, you know, carve out the time to go to the gym every single day for an hour and the commute time to the gym? I mean, is it okay if we just do a, a little bit? 
is, is that possibly better? I mean, so there's been studies looking at the health of the brain and, and cognition throughout the life um, and declines of age-related declines in our, um, our, our memory and brain function in general and emotional health. They correlate with the amount of time we spend sedentary regardless of whether or not we're doing high intensity exercise. So you could say that, you know, if you sit for eight hours and then go for a big run during your lunch break, that doesn't necessarily offset all the sitting. So in a way, it's better to kind of move little and often, whether that's, you know, getting up, going to make a cup of tea or, you know, just uh, doing some some quick movements, um, whether that's running up and down the stairs, walking around the block, you know, anything um there's some people i met along the way who do natural movement and they have these things called movement snacks um which can be just kind of crawling along the floor for a bit or hanging from a door frame or just just doing anything but um it doesn't have to be that dramatic just feeding movement into your day a bit more can can really do wonders what kind of an impact has the pandemic had on our sedentary lifestyle do you think it's made people more sedentary or have have a lot of people tried to incorporate more movement into their lives because they know they're maybe sitting at home and, and stuck on the computer a lot more than they had been before. Yeah. And you also have so many options for virtual exercise. Well, as that's well. true. Yeah. So yeah. 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 It's funny because I think um, in my house anyway, I live with, you know, my husband and son, we're all very restless, don't like sitting still kinds of people. And we've fully embraced it like you know when and in the UK there was a point at which you were only allowed out to exercise once a day um and so everybody was just kind of going out for long walks for bike rides and that kind of thing and so for a short while people were really getting into you know the only thing you were allowed to do was get out and do some exercise but I think that did drop off after a while and there seemed to be sort of two camps there are people that are like yes I don't have to commute anymore I can go for an early morning swim and, and other people that just said, I literally have gone from my bed to my desk, to my sofa, to my bed. Um, so I think, I mean, I don't have any figures on it, but I get the sense that there's probably more people who are more sedentary because you don't realize when you commute to an office job, how much walking is involved in that. And, you know, just getting up from your desk to go and talk to people. Um, so you sort of have to build it in. And I think the longer this situation has gone on, we're all back to working at home in the UK again now. Um you know, people are just kind of on back to back calls now. So the kind of the glory period of, oh, well, you're expected to go out and do your exercise um, may have passed a little bit. So, yeah, I think overall it's not been great for us. Is it beneficial to kind of switch it up during the day and say, do five minutes of dance one hour and the next hour lift weights for five minutes? Or is it pretty much as long as we're moving, it's it's the same? Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends what, what you want to get from it, really. So dance is, um, I mean, I could have written a whole book on dance and other people have done. It was just fascinating why humans need to dance. And, uh, and part of it is to do with connecting with other people. So this was kind of relevant during, you know, lockdowns. Um, that the reason we like, we feel connected when we're dancing with other people is that it confuses our sort of body brain pathways. So when we're moving, we know where our body is in space. But if somebody is moving in synchrony with us, then the sort of information from our own bodies becomes sort of mixed up with what's coming in from our senses about what their body's doing. And it sort of has this effect of making us feel almost like we're one, like we're connected in some way. And so that's kind of a, that's one of the theories about why dance might have evolved in the first place is a social glue that kind of kept us feeling like we should stick together. Um, 
And so that's a really good way. So if you're feeling lonely, for example, um, even if you don't have anyone to dance with, there's some evidence that if you're dancing to music, um, because that's made by humans, make, you know, making human movements and you're moving your body and to, to their body movements, then that can have a similar effect. You kind of feel bonded, um, like, like you're part of the band almost. Um, so, 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 yeah. Yeah, my mom and I were looking the other day at these YouTube videos where it's just like one song that you do that you dance to and how much of a difference that makes on your mood. It's just not overwhelming and it, it's fun. And you watch other people dancing to the, yes. on, on the video. So even if you're by yourself in your room, you're watching you other people like doing the dance. And yeah. yeah, yeah, you're all <laughs> trying to follow the choreography. Not well. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that, that that translates then even if you are by yourself, but you're watching, you know, an exercise class or. Or, or a dance uh, video that you're yeah. connecting with those on the video? I would say so. It's probably not as powerful as being in the, the room. I did a lot of, of, you know, virtual Zoom yoga classes and stuff um, during the lockdowns. And it was it was good to be part of that community, but you did. it's not the same as being physically with people and, you know, you can hear them breathing in time with you and, you know, you're bumping into each other and laughing and, you know, you, you're interacting with them socially. But, but I think as a as a better than nothing situation. Yeah. It's better than just doing it by yourself and listening to a, you know, an audio CD of someone saying, jump around. We want you to know how glad we are to have you as part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners. You know, you may have heard us talk before about our sponsor, Ritual, and we're excited to tell you about another great product from Ritual. It's called Symbiotic Plus. It's my daily three-in-one clinically studied prebiotic, probiotic, and postbiotic designed to help support a balanced gut microbiome. We've been big fans of Ritual's essential multivitamins and essential protein products for many reasons. We really appreciate that with Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain, you know the what, how, and why of every labeled ingredient. With Ritual's Symbiotic Plus, I get two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional digestive discomforts like bloating, gas, and diarrhea. And why include a postbiotic? Well, it provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining and supports a healthy gut barrier. Symbiotic Plus comes in a delayed release capsule that's designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon, an ideal place for probiotics to grow and thrive. Symbiotic Plus comes in an all-in-one single nested minty capsule. There's no refrigeration needed, so it's easy to take with you when you travel. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. It's time to listen to your gut. Ritual is offering our Nobody Told Me listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. All you have to do is visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. Tell us more about what science is learning about the cognitive benefits of walking and, and regular movement and, and how those things can prevent dementia. Yeah, well, there's some really scary um, statistics about 
sort of sedentary lifestyles and dementia. So the one that hit me was that 13% of Alzheimer's cases can be traced to a sedentary lifestyle. I mean, it's quite terrifying. And especially when you think about the, the, the most important time to you know, ready your brain for, for old age is sort of middle age, the time when no one has any time to be going out um, doing activities. So it's, it's really, really important that we build this stuff into our life. And walking is just such a multi-tool um, activity that you know, you can build in just to your day. And there are different ways of doing it that have different effects. So, um, I mean, my favorite one is that uh, there's psychology studies that suggest that when people are physically moving forward through space, and it doesn't have to be walking, it can be cycling or kayaking or, you know, whatever it is you want to do moving forward, that it affects the way we perceive time. So most of us think of like the past is behind us and the future is in front of us and we're moving along this imaginary timeline. And there are studies been done that suggest that as you, if you're moving forward through space physically, it feels like the future is closer to you and the past is further behind you. So it makes it more difficult to sort of get stuck in this sort of rumination of, you know, things that you've done or said or, you know, and get stuck in the past, which is really relevant to things like depression. And that it can help you feel like you're getting somewhere. Um, and that's something I definitely found um, during lockdowns and things. You need to get out, get going, and you, you don't feel quite so stuck and quite so hemmed in um, emotionally uh, as well as physically. Um, so that's that's one of the really, really important things that I think walking can, can do for our mental state. There's also the, um, the sort of mind-wandering aspect and creativity. So one of the things that's been linked to our century lifestyles is that this declining creativity, which is really hard to measure, but there's some indications that as a society, we're not coming up with as great new ideas as we used to. Um, and one way to put your mind into a, your brain into a more creative state is to sort of temporarily turn down activity in the frontal bits of your brain, which is a bit behind your forehead, um, which sort of the gatekeepers for ideas they're the ones that say don't be silly you can't you can't say that in a meeting it would be inappropriate you know um that wouldn't work don't be ridiculous um and turning down activity in that part of the brain um sort of opens your mind you think more broadly and you might consider things that you've not thought of before and you know there's lots of ways of turning down that activity like having having a beer for example um <laughs> experiments that i've been part of where you uh, you have a transcranial um, direct current stimulation on your brain and they sort of electrically interfere with activity and that makes you more creative it's kind of fascinating but a very simple user-friendly way to do that is to go for a walk and let your mind wander um, and this is one thing that Charles Darwin did when he was thinking about the how to come up with the um, the theory of evolution he had all this sort of information from his travels and he couldn't quite get the headspace to kind of coalesce it all into sort of one theory that made sense and he moved out of London, moved to the countryside and built himself this walking path where he just would meander around and around in circles um, every day, just kind of thinking big thoughts. Um, and that's when he it kind of came to him. So I think we, we do get this idea that the best way to have work ideas, um, to come up with solutions for things is to sit and bang our heads off a desk. And I'm as guilty of that as anyone. But if we can get it into our minds that really going out and going for a walk counts as work if you if you're mulling something over and you're just you know you're letting your mind wander that counts as work and you might come up with much better ideas and solutions than you would ever sitting at your desk um just sort of stagnating and getting bored 
That makes so much sense to me about cardio, but why is it that just lifting weights makes us feel so good? I I love lifting weights. Yeah. I mean, this really surprised me as well, because, you know, we've known for a long time that that fitness and, and mental health and cognitive health, these things are all linked and, you know, endorphins and happy hormones and all these kinds of things. We've known that. But there are studies where lifting weights, becoming physically stronger, regardless of whether you become cardio fitter or not, can um, improve your cognitive function. It can, um, it's really, really effective for reducing symptoms of anxiety and depression and makes people feel more powerful. There was this study done in the late eighties with some teenage girls who increased their strength by like 40% over the course of 12 weeks. And afterwards they started reporting that they felt more capable in all kinds of walks of life so whether they were having you know things that had nothing to do with fighting or or being physical just things like having difficult conversations they felt more sure of themselves um and so there's this really nice idea that it sort of basically comes back to the fact that your body is constantly sending messages to your brain and back and forth sort of, I think of it as like having kids in the back of the car, that just nattering on all the time and they never shut up. So there's all this information. And if you, if you make your body physically stronger, the information coming from your body, from your muscles, from your bones, from, from all the tenders and everything is I've got this covered. I can handle it. I'm strong. And, and that kind of gives you this sort of implicit sense of confidence that you can't even put your finger on really, but will make you feel less anxious, more in control of your life. And, and so I think, Strength is one thing. It's starting to change a little bit, but people have really neglected strength. Um, and everything that's been done about strength has been, okay, well, we need to do it for our bone health and da, da, da. But there's really good evidence that it makes you feel less anxious, more in control of your life and, and, and just better around. So yeah, I'm a big fan of, of lifting weights. I was encouraged to read what you wrote when you said there is almost nothing that moving more can't help us achieve. That is quite a statement. Yeah. I mean, if you want to improve your focus, then go out for a a brisk walk run or whatever that kind of gets you kind of gets everything pumping, gets everything going. If you want to be more creative, go for a wander. If you want to feel more powerful, lift weights, you know, stress control, the links between the the core muscles and the the, the stress response. There's there's basically anything you want from your mind. Um, there's something you can do with your body that, that can make you feel better. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little about the strong core helping us handle stressful situations? Yeah. So this is really new research and I, and I wouldn't want to like annoy the scientists by saying it's a done deal. We know exactly what's going on, but there's been some really interesting new research that shows, um, neural links. So basically wiring, um, from the, um, adrenal glands, which are sort of on top, they sit on top of our kidneys and they pump out adrenaline when we're stressed. Um, and if they trace the, the neural pathways back to the brain, they end up in the part of the brain that informs movement, that controls voluntary movement. And more importantly, most of those connections end up in the bit of the brain that controls the core. So this is kind of an indication that we don't know which way the messages go at the moment, but given that there's lots of psychology um, results um, and evidence that 
if you're sitting up straight, then you feel more um, in control. And if you feel slumped, then you feel more, you know, you can get over stress. So people have been doing experiments where you have to do a very stressful task, like giving a, an impromptu talk to loads of people who are staring at you and looking judgmental. And people who beforehand have been walking upright recover faster from stress than people who have been sort of being slumped. And so there's this, this these, these lines of evidence are sort of converging that maybe there's something special about the way we move our core and core strength that tells our brain that our bodies are on the move and that that is part of running away and that is part of getting to safety and that these things are all, all intertwined. We, you know, we have evidence that um, things like Tai Chi and yoga and Pilates are great stress busters. Um, yeah, is that because they strengthen the core? We don't know for sure yet, but it does seem like a really interesting avenue to to um to follow over the next few years so i'm really excited to see what they come up with on that what are some realistic goals to try to set if we have been having a sedentary lifestyle and we hear about the the research you're reporting on and we think hey i really need to change things what where do we start with those goals i mean it's really a matter of just little and often is is the way to do it I think I mean I spend a lot more time you know because like many people my job involves sitting down and typing away um but I'll mix it up so I might go and sit down on the floor and you know because that helps with mobility it also means that at some point you have to get up off the floor um and that strengthens the legs and improves your balance and you know there's all these ways of just kind of getting movement into your life and there's been research in people um the the blue zones, I don't know if you've come across them, where people live a lot, are a lot more likely to live to 100 than anywhere else in the world. And there's been lots of studies of these people. What is their secret? And one of the things is that they, they don't exercise, but they have movement as part of their life. So they garden, they, they go foraging. They um, There's a population in, in Okinawa of Japan where they they have very low tables and they squat down and they stand up. And so they're, they're constantly um, working their leg strength and their balance. And so it's a matter of just kind of getting whatever you will do in. I mean, there's no one way of moving or exercising that is for everybody. So it's whatever you will do and whatever you can shoehorn in as a part of your life, I think is, is the important thing to do. What's the most surprising thing that you learned during your research? Um, most surprising thing. Um, I was kind of blown away by the fact that our bones are um, are a endocrine organ, which means they secrete hormones. So I think you you know we, we often think of our bones as being these kind of dry, sticky stuff that kind of holds us up, but actually it's constantly being built up um, depending on how much um, how much we challenge it, how much work against gravity our bones have to do um, and broken down again if we're not putting any stress on it at all so we know that because people come back from zero gravity astronauts and they, they lose they lose bone mass and people who are on bed rest lose bone mass but one thing that's 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 now becoming known is that when the bones are being built up when they're being stressed put under uh, under pressure um, they release a hormone into the blood called osteocalcin which goes through our blood through the blood into the brain and has something to do with improving memory and decreasing anxiety and that's kind of really fascinating to me that you know this there's stuff going on in our bodies that we know nothing about that affects the way we, we think and the way we feel um so yeah that was that was a big surprise to me also the fascia um which is sort of basically if you think of it like 
cling film or saran wrap, I think you guys call it, yeah, that sort of like wraps our muscles and uh, wraps everything, keeps our organs from bumping into each other inside our bodies, that that's a biologically active um, substance. So I told you the dog was going to burst in. <laughs> Meet Django. He's now saying he'd like to go out for a walk. It's dark. No. Uh, <laughs> so one thing we, we're learning about the fascia is that when it's moved and stretched, that biological changes happen at the level of the cells that release anti-inflammatory compounds, which then have um, an effect on our mental health and our, our ability to, to respond to stress. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that's going on, basically, that we don't think of. And there's lots of there's lots of myth stuff. Like, so I've done yoga for a lot of years and you often hear yoga teachers saying, ring out those toxins from your from your muscles and from your organs. And I've always thought, what a load of rubbish that that can't that can't be right. If you if you needed to ring out your organs, why would the body put them in cages? You know, it's <laughs> very well protected in there. But this this stuff about fascia suggests that, you know, movement, just normal kind of levels of movement without wringing them out, um, sort of compresses this tissue. And it kind of it's like a sponge um, sort of structure and it's fluid. And as we as we move, it sort of compresses and it sort of squidges all this this liquid through to the to the lymphatic system where it all goes through the immune system and gets cleaned out. And so it starts to sound a little bit less far fetched when you think of it like that, that. You, by moving, you're helping your body do all the, the cleaning up and the, the housekeeping it needs to do. Um, and if you just sit around all the time, then, then everything just stagnates. And it's not surprising we feel pretty rough. How helpful do you think cell phones are in terms of keeping us on track and helping us to measure our steps and, and other activities to kind of, you know, be a little bit of a motivator there? Yeah, they're a real double-edged, double-edged sword, aren't they, really? I mean, I'm um, I'm really bad at scrolling and getting stuck in scrolling paralysis. But at the same time, you know, I have my my smartwatch, which connects to my phone. And I like to, you know, I like to know that I've done 20,000 steps. And yay me, I'm like, a, you know, the studies I've done of these um, uh, hunter-gatherer populations in Tanzania. And, the ha- and I'm like, yes, I've gone as many steps as the hadza do when they're out hunting and gathering. Yes, yay me. So, I mean, it can be a real motivator. But on the other hand, they are just a bit too easy to sit and stare at, aren't they? That's that's the trouble. And I want to go back to that statistic about how the Western world spends more than 70% of their time sitting. How many people do you think were sitting, you know, back in 1950 compared to now? Was it a lot worse? Yeah. What are the differences? Yeah, that is a different. I don't have the um uh, the, the the kind of statistic to my. I think we move something like thirty percent less than the people in the than our sort of predecessors in the sixties, something like that. I mean, it's quite it's quite staggering how much we thanks to technology. Better. Yeah, um, yeah, we 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 sort of basically created a world where we don't have to move. You know, you can quite you know I could sit here at my desk now and order myself some takeaway that would arrive to my door. I'd have to walk as far as my door to get it. You know, you can you can date from your from your desktop. <laughs> you know, you can find a life partner if you want to. You know, everything can be done with just moving your fingers and thumbs nowadays. You know, we're the only animal on the planet that can get away with that. And and you know, we're very clever for doing that, but it, it does we do miss out on on all the benefits we evolved to move um and our our bre- our bodies and our brains evolved together so that when we move and do hu- hunting and gathering our brains invest in capacity and if we don't then they shrink down capacity so 
we're really not doing ourselves any favors by letting somebody else do the hunting and gathering and bring it to the door. What um, message do you have for parents in terms of getting their kids moving? Mm, well, that's a tricky one. Um, I've got a 12 year old son um, who is quite good at um, finding reasons not to come out for a walk with the dog, but we do do drag them. Um, I think one thing I think is really, really important is that I think it's quite possible to go through school and think that movement, exercise, sport is not for you because most of the focus is on team sports um, and things like that. Um, and I think what we need to do is to help children find a way of moving that suits them, um, that they, that you know, you don't have to say to them, this will make you feel strong and powerful. Just something that they love doing and they get the benefits and they're kind of at some point they'll work it out for themselves. So during the, the book research, I, I spoke to this great guy called Terry Kovacnik, who, who lives in California now. Um, he's from the UK originally. And he's a stuntman and performer, acrobat. Um, and what he does now most of the time is he trains kids to do really cool parkour tricks, flips and things like that. But he sort of does it in a way that he teaches them that they have this inner strength and resilience that they don't know they have because they're obviously challenging themselves to do really quite difficult things and you know the idea is that that then translates into elsewhere in life you know they have to calm themselves down and you know focus before they do something potentially dangerous and when they get into a stressful situation then they can do that so I think there's, there's kind of various ways of getting kids to make this mind-body connection that I think we're missing um, out on in schools and and just in life in general I think it, you know the same could be said for the adult population as well and for elderly people and in mental health you know there's all these kind of avenues where this could be really important um, to make this body mind connection um, but yeah I think starting with kids would be a really good place because if you can get children coming out of school knowing that they can reduce stress um, focus better be more creative all these things by moving whatever may, makes them feel good, then, I mean, that would be great for the next generation. Mm -hmm. And like you said, even just walking the dog, I mean, that's yeah. so easy. They don't even know they're exercising. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Caroline, at the end of each show, we ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about the emotional benefits that you get by moving that you would like to pass on to our listeners? Hmm. Um, that it's surprisingly easy and worthwhile <laughs> because yeah. when you're feeling when you're feeling um, whether it's bored or demotivated or miserable or, or anxious or whatever it's really hard to drag yourself up and out and do something but it's always always worth it and um, yeah I think that's something that you sort of learn the hard way but if we can, if we can get yeah if I could help people work that out um easily then that would be great <laughs> like you said earlier little and often absolutely little and often it doesn't have to involve going to the gym it doesn't have to involve getting sweaty um in pain you know your body was made to move you know you, you don't see the hunter gatherers of this world doing squats until their legs are in pain um they would think I asked a researcher who works with these hunter gatherers in Tanzania and I said, what, what do you think they would make of, of 
high intensity interval training. And he was like, they would think it was ridiculous. You know, they, they never exercise. They don't run. They compete with lions for their food sources. And they, as far as, unless they can help it, they don't run. So <laughs> it doesn't have to be painful and horrible. It just um, has to be built into your life. And Caroline, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet? Well, I'm on Instagram. I'm Caroline Williams underscore science. Um, I'm on Twitter at at science Caroline. Um, and my website is carolinewilliams.net. Well, Caroline, we thank you so much for joining us. This has really been motivating. Uh, yeah, fascinating. <laughs> it's so it's so interesting. It's like it, it's encouraging, I think. Okay. I want to get up and go take a walk. Come on, everybody. <laughs> Again, our thanks to Caroline Williams, whose new book is called Move, How the New Science of Body Movement Can Set Your Mind Free. And again, her website is carolinewilliams.net. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 